I've witnessed in my journey along the way where young men and young ladies have at times held the man of God in high regard but treated the lady of God with casualness, um, maybe not disrespect, God forbid, but a casualness without understanding that they together walk in a ministry and an office. Now they, don't, they don't do the same thing. They're different people. But God sees them as one flesh. And so I think it would be important for you to know that in your life. Amen? Praise God. And so I'm thankful today that Sister Schooner, every once in a while I, I like, I, I don't know if it's giving her a hard time. I hope not. Um, but every once in a while I call her Sister Bishop. Um, amen. It's, we need to know who God has given in our lives as covering and authority. Amen. And so I'm thankful that Sister Schoonover's here today. I know it's going to be a blessing to all of us. And Sister Schoonover, please come. Hopefully it doesn't feel too awkward holding on to a microphone, and, uh, even though there's no sound. Go ahead. You can be seated. So... Um, I'm taking a much more casual approach. I, I'm sorry I missed last night. I really wanted to be here. Um, we spent the afternoon uh, loading up a, a big cargo trailer, moving stuff to a storage unit. And we had to like take it down a flight of stairs. And um, so after a while, I was just throwing it off the flight of stairs and saying, because some was garbage and some was storage unit, and it was in a box, and I'm like, you got to work smart. And I would just drop it. And Bishop's like, and I'm like, I'll vacuum it. But um, while I was there, it just happened to be at our other live church upstairs. And you guys have the coolest, you know, uh, set up. I saw, like, a case of Rockstar. And so I got a Rockstar. No, what is it called? Red Bull. And then I saw your syrups. <laughs> You're not Okay, that's fine. Then I saw your syrups, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a lot done. I'm going to just make it happen. And I was with a group, and, and Sister Flowers was telling me, so this goes to the storage unit, and we were moving out, you know, your beautiful, you know, decorations and stuff. And so I was over there doing mixology. Look at this flavor. And I don't dr normally drink Red Bulls. And so I was pretty, I got a lot done. And I was home in time to get dressed and come here because I was, I was telling, you know, I'm going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to go there because I want to go. I'm really excited about this. And I was talking just about how, I'm still talking fast. <laughs> and I got home. And two things happened. That rock star had me, my stomach so upset. And I was so hyper. I felt like if I ate, I would calm down. And so I spent the night shoving everything I could find in my mouth. This bread will help. These crackers will help. And, and then my back was hurting. And at last, so that's why I didn't make it last night. I OD'd on, I drank a Red Bull. So um, I'm sorry because I wanted to hear the teaching. 
Um, you'll see me sometimes during harvest with Rockstar, and, but I only drink a half a can, let that be known. And my children really get on me because of that stuff, and you have to really be careful. Um, but um, I'm very excited about this hyphen meeting, and I'm very grateful to the burden and the ministry of the hearts. We just, we just love them so much and respect the great work here. I wish we could be in Life Church Sela more. I was really excited because I was going to be here Wednesday night, and um, the Lord had other plans. But um, I, uh, uh, Westside Life Church was very excited about this too. But the passes are somewhat impassable right now, and they keep closing every hour. And we promoted it over there in Kent and Puyallup. But Bishop one night said, do not take a chance. You do not take a chance. Um, we, when we, you know, we're used to it when we drove over, but, um, yeah, so we're very thankful for this event, and I'm very thankful to see all of you here. So I'm going to start out just, this is comfortable. This is, you know, I'm going to be asking you questions, and the Lord, I felt, gave me a thought this morning, and I typed out some notes, and that's what I do. I type out five pages of notes and then read them, digest them, own them, and then sometimes don't ever look at them. But today I will be looking at them because I want to stay on task. On the uh, Right before I left and went out the door, I was reminded of a song, and I thought about, I saw somewhere in Brother Hart's communication, what would you tell yourself? How did you word that? If you could tell your 20-year-old self something now, or what was it you said? What you wish you knew you were in your 20s. How many of you are 17? Raise your hand. 18. Did you move your hand? I, I thought, because I had you a lot older, I'm like, Ethan, you're just so young. All right, 19. 19. Keep your hand up. Don't be embarrassed. Own it. 19. 20. Keep your hand up. I want to see who it is. 20. 21. Okay. Oh, you can put it down after when I go to 21. 21. 22. Just own it if you're 50. It's okay. We'll get there. 22. 23. 24. 25. Okay. All right. I, uh, how old are you, my friend? No way. You're so young, and you look like you're 16. So, oh, to, you're going to be really love it when you're 50 and 16. So that's beautiful. What would I tell myself now? What would I tell my 20-year-old self? I, uh, you know, age your age, your year really doesn't make a difference. Your history is, is, you know, it's the maturity level. I lived out my hyphen ages between the ages of 16 and 19. I was 16 and 19, literally going on 29. And that was because of my rough childhood, um, my history, the things I went through. Um, moved out and graduated. I started real young, moved out and graduated when I was 17. But, you know, way back then, uh, I've been out of school 40 years, maybe longer. Uh, they didn't have running start, but they had other things available. And so by the time I graduated high school at, at 17, I had a year and a half of college under my belt because I was uh, going on Tuesday and Thursday nights into Seattle my senior year doing college and then did uh, well, it was a year and a half by the time I would have started my first year of college in September, and then I did some summer school. I also moved out when I was 17. 
and um, was very independent. And so I had some hyphen years without Jesus, and I had some hyphen years with Jesus. And I, I, I'm going to share just a couple things with you about those hyphen years. You know, sometimes you think that the people in the church, we grow up in this, we have no hard time. We cannot even identify with who you are and what you're going through in association. Well, Jesus did not sin. He knew no sin. But yet in his spirit, he ministered to those that were deep in sin. So you don't have to experience that. You don't have to have come off of drugs to be able to minister to someone who's come off of drugs. Just two bits there. But in my life, I, um, I'm one of those, for many years, I would not share my testimony. And I'm going to just briefly do this because you're going to understand more. I was embarrassed. I was so embarrassed of who I came from and what I was, even when I cleaned myself up. I was a self-made person. I wanted to come out of what I was raised in, that history. I didn't want to be known of that. I didn't want to be a part of that. It was all crazy Okies from Muskogee who drank too much and was proud of it and fought and partied hard, and then they would all beat each other up at the end of the night. And I grew up looking for Aunt Melba's teeth, you know, from the night before. The parties were always at my house, and I was the one that kept the house clean, and I was the one, and I really, it really played into my life a type of codependency to make sure everybody was where they were and doing what they were doing and covering up all their mistakes. So then by the time I was 17, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I was going to reinvent myself. That's when I started, I started college and the type of, I was back then in the day, they called it fashion merchandising. I was going to be a clothes buyer and I was going to live in Seattle and I was going to drive a fancy car and I was going to look just right. This is before Jesus, right? Um, and I was not going to be identified with that stereotype of people that my family was, even as much as I loved them. And I worried when I moved out, because I was the one that went and got my mom and dad out of the bars and raised my brothers and sisters. And I moved out thinking they're going to take on that responsibility, but would call home worried every night. Did you eat? Da, 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 da. And my parents were really good people. We were the white middle class. My father hang out, hung out with the Secretary of State at the time. He was very smart, but they were always also the guy. You worked hard. You came home. You drank hard. You partied hard. We had a great big bar in our rec room with the lights that went on behind it, big jugs of McNaughton and da-da-da-da-da. And so the party was always at my house. So I was going to get away from who my family was and reinvent myself in my early, late teen years. So I went to this college, and it was called Carolyn Hansen Fashion College, downtown Seattle. I was going to be a clothes buyer. I was going to work in the industry. I was going to make a lot of money. I did not need men. And um, that really came from... You see, when I grow up, grew up, we were way out in the country, and it was all my cousins, and it was me, and we had nothing to do but ride motorcycles and live on a farm. And so because I was allergic to anything that moved that was an animal, we lived on motorcycles, and I could win all the races, and I could beat all of that. And those little things like that, I'm going back to that, that is where that competition of it doesn't matter that they're a man, I can do it, and I, I, they think they're all that because they're a male, but I'll win. 
and they're not going to tell me what to do. And so I did. Started on a Honda 50 when I was a little girl, went to a Honda 90, stepped through, could ride that thing like, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of yards without even hands. And um, went to a Kawasaki 125 and ended with a Yamaha 250 Enduro. But by the time I finished with it, it was strictly a dirt bike. Every, all the tail lights were off, everything was off. But I beat everybody that lived within a five mile radius of our farm. So I had this little bit of edge of competition with males that started at a young age that I've had to bring before the Lord at an older age when he finally showed me I had that. And um, so then I go to Carolyn Hanson Fashion College, and I work really hard. I move into an apartment in Fife, Washington, and I just pour myself into working hard and finishing college and I went to all the classes. Now, I used to never tell people this because they would think I was afraid they would think I was all that because I wasn't. I was just wanting to rebrand myself because you can brand yourself to be anything. And that really was a desire of my heart, though, education and independence and not being poor and providing and helping my brothers and sisters get out of the situation we were in. So I took a lot of business classes there. It's funny, you may have seen videos or read books where you go to this school, half is fashion merchandising and business, half is all modeling. It was a, it was a modeling school and there was these gorgeous models, gorgeous models. And that's when I used to start identify and measure myself against them. So, and then there was these, imagine these, these, sorry, I'm using the word video. Maybe you've seen something funny, a funny video where, or a, a book where the modeling agency men, and they were very friendly, and they had beautiful dogs, and they dressed to the T, and they talked very nice. And they were just a person of their own. Well, it's not like it was today. It is today. But they were men. The modeling men were men. Well, our class was so rowdy. We had, we, these guys had a heart. This one guy had a heart attack. He was our teacher. He'd never met models like us before, especially ones that are just trying to get off the farm. It just so happened half that class were people just like me trying to get off the farm and rowdy, but we were going to remake ourselves. So we took a lot of classes on how to put on makeup. They gave us classes on how to stand. They gave us classes on, on social etiquette. They gave us classes on how to take an interview. And so you were taught how to act right, look right, smell right, and then there was this, all, this other side of all the business. I was rebranding myself. With during that time is when I became very uncomfortable with who I was. I had to look like this certain person to be successful. I learned a lot of good things there on how to take care of your skin naturally and all that, and I've carried that over. But in the years of my testimony, I would never share that because people think you, were, you thought you were all that. No. People that do that kind of work are not naturally beautiful. You take a, a, a blank slate and you paint it and you make it to be whatever you want it to be. 
And I came to a place even after I graduated from that, made trips to New York, I drove a fancy car, I was so broke all the time, is then when I, I started working with construction with my dad to make money, after all that. Always looking to brand myself, get out of what I was, not acceptance of who I really was and what God gave me. And it was during those times of misery that I came to the Lord. And I was single for quite a while when I was, uh, after I was saved. And God completely delivered me from so many things, so many things, drugs. It was when I was in modeling school that I started using amphetamines because that's what everybody did there to stay skinny. So when I came to the Lord, there was a lot that he had to teach me with loving who I was, not feeling that I had to set goals without him. It's important to set goals. It's important to, to you know, we need to get jobs and we need to flow. We need to, but I did not have anyone in my life giving me wisdom. Anyone in my life being a mentor. Anyone in my life giving me sound instruction until I came to God and, and God gave me some spiritual authority. I was saved in a very large church. That spiritual authority ministered to me from the platform, from the pulpit. But God gave me a couple within the body who I literally latched onto for a year because he knew I was a basket case and I needed a whole lot of word, a whole lot of word, a whole lot of word to change who I was. So if I could look back, there was so many years in my, in my later in my hyphen years, if I could look back and s tell myself in my 20s, even as I became a Christian, and this is what I was thinking of when I wrote these down, to the, the uh, what I would tell myself in my 20s. You kind of know where I came from now. You kind of know what I dealt with. You know, I still deal with stuff like that. I got, I got saved in a very, very conservative movement. And I feel like I'm in complete submission to my husband. Every once in a while, that independency will... Especially, one time I was invited to speak at a fellowship meeting in this district many years ago. When I went to that church, Bishop had been called out somewhere. He was out of town. He wasn't supposed to be out of town. I go to that church and preach. It was men and women. It was a fellowship meeting. You would not believe that this was a number of years ago. All the men were on one side. All the women were on the other side. You never know the, the personality of the church and how that pastor runs his church. The, the fleshly side of me would be like, I can, I can deliver the word just because I'm made differently than you. I could give him a list of who God used in the Bible that was a female. 
but the spiritual side of me, Jesus just went, stop right where you're at. Don't even go there. Be in complete submission. It's not about that to that covering, to that pastor. He did ask you to come and to speak. It was him. But you better get your spirit under control. See, that goes way, way, way back to my early years. Started as a kid with motorcycle racing and went on to rebranding myself. And it still carries over. The spirit, in, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I still find myself doing that. So what would I tell my younger self, though, now that I've grown in the church and I have so far to go and God keeps me in a humble place. And I was uh, thinking about it and I wrote down just a couple things. When I was 20, so then I was saved. When, if when I was 20, I knew what I know now, I would humble myself before my parents and treat them with greater respect. You see, I was living a new Christian life And I looked down my nose at their sinful ways. I would instead share the good reports, the goodness of God and the mercies instead of how things should be done, how you should be raising your children. If you would just go to church, things would be different. If you would submit. Even in my, I was already living out on my own. I had been for some time. But my presence with them, we had role reversal. My mother and I had role reversal. We always did. She was the teenager. I was the mom from a very early age. It wasn't until after my mom passed away at a young age and I really got to know the people that knew her, I realized why she was the way she was and I wish I would have done things differently. But the way I treated them, I, I think I shamed them and I've had to repent. Even though I did know the truth, even though I did see through eyes of grace and mercy, I don't know that it was a good witness. So it took me, I'm, you know, 60 this year. My parents passed away at a pretty young age, and I wish I would have done things differently. So that, I know that's kind of heavy, but that is, that's what came to my mind, and I wrote it down. If I could tell myself when I was 20, Write down the things God speaks to you about. Just write them down. Journal them. Don't go be telling everybody. Just write them down. You will look back. And you will know God spoke to me about that at that age. It was God. It took a while to play out. I didn't understand it. 
And if I could tell myself in which I still deal with it, I would be more comfortable with my weight. I would go, I would read whatever book it took, I would go to whatever class it took and own who I am. I believe that we need to be healthy. I'm always trying to get weight off for the sake of my health. But the way my life played out, I measured against those things. The best things that were mentioned to me in my life when I was that age, when I was a single Christian, were number one, the personal daily devotions you establish now, at this time, today, will affect your devotions the rest of your life. I'm here to say that's, I'm living proof of that. I understand that you can stir up the gift any day. I have to stir up the gift every other month, probably every day, really. But you get into a routine. You get into a habit. You get into this is when I do my morning devotion. This is when I wake up. I wake up. I have a cup of coffee. I pray. I read. I write down a little bit. And then, but for me, honestly, my, my schedule is messed with all the time. Even working for the Lord. I came home in November after having been gone three weeks, and I told my husband, my prayer life stinks right now. I maybe, Yeah, I've been at pause. I've been at this. I've been traveling. But when you go to the East Coast and you get up at 9 a.m., it's 6 a.m. here, and you got to be in a meeting at 10 a.m. And so my personal time, my prayer life stinks right now. And so I am constantly doing a reboot. It's kind of hard. My husband and I pray together, but in your hotel room, you know, you need your space. You, you just have your, you have to constantly reboot, and that's a whole different, that's a whole different message. But um, daily, 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 what you do now, what you do now before you are married will make a huge difference on your devotions when you are married, if it is God's will for you to be married and have a spouse. Number two, another thing that someone told me when I was a single hyphen, what you read and the people you hang out with today will make a huge impact on the kind of person you are in five years. Haven't we all heard that like a hundred times? What you read, that is so true. What you read today and the circle, the community you plant yourself in will be what you are in five years years. So besides the Bible, besides the Bible, what are you reading right now, Brother Ethan? Sometimes I don't have time to read anything but the Bible, but I also don't work full time and all this, so I have time to, oh, are you reading? Okay, Timothy, are you reading anything? Okay, Lana? Good. Devotionals are good. Devotionals, you need devotionals. Fiction books, that's good. Ecclesiastes is good for you. Sister Jessica. That's good. Good. 
good. Brother. The gifts of perfection. Imperfect, that's awesome. The gifts of imperfect. Who's the author? Okay. And then what's the other one? Dare to lead. That's a good one. That's Stanley. The ho- oh, dare to lead. Seems like I had. Uh-huh. What's your name? Okay. 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 Very good. Sometimes I like to, and Elder Hart will attest, and Sister Hart, I like to ask, what are you reading right now? Have I been, have, I've done that quite a few times. I'll never, one time he still gave me this title that I'll just never forget. It was called The Red Bull just went out of my system. It just happened. I've been delivered. <sighs> Had this moment of relaxation. This is called Dare to Cheat? Learning to Cheat? Oh, yeah, won't that just, Brother Hart? <laughs> just because Brother Hart said he was reading that book, I had to go find it. And I think I might have asked him, but like, you know, and, I, and it's about managing time. But, um,. I have two books going right now besides my Bible. I ordered a book. I'm at a place in my life. I've always been a morning place person, but I'm at a place in my life where my office is usually in my home. And um, with my health, my age, everything else, my mornings aren't going the way they should be going. And I'm not getting her done in the morning, which is your most productive time. And I heard this great book, and I've just got it in the mail. I'm super excited about it. It's uh, an eight-minute Minute. No, it's called The Morning Miracle. So I'll let you know if it's good. And then there's another book that was highly recommended to me, and it, I'm not going to tell you what it is, that's got a lot. Of, I read a lot of things where I spend a lot of time counseling. And I reread it, and I reread it, reread it, read it. And God gives wisdom, and God gives unction. But um, I listen to and read a lot of marriage books. And... Um, I I read my Bible every day. I'm on a journey to read a one-year Bible every year. I, I'm on a journey to do that. And I get a new one-year Bible every year, and I mark through it as I'm reading. And my goal is to then each grandchild will have a Bible that I read through. They keep having babies. I'll live long enough. But I had started doing that with, like, some, some one-year Bibles. You know, you'll see it was, like, 2013, 2014. Now I get a new Bible. But, and then I'm a big person on devotionals. You need a devotional. And I've always spoke that into my children's life. I buy them new devotionals and new Bibles, and that's just part of Christmas giving. Because you do need to stir up the gift within you at all times. You need to read your Bible but if you find a good devotional, Elder Hart can give you some good books. And I am constantly rereading good books because my brain will just get dumb. We come, I listen to what Bishop sends out for us to listen to. One of the things that he recently sent out, which, which Elder Hart would, I think uh, you can talk to him about it, but I highly recommend is the series on um, governing the eyes. 
and I thought there was only, you know, four. There's like 15, is it 30? Everyone should listen to that. Everyone. I tell people, you really need to listen to that. So, you know, we constantly, we're bombarded. But there's really no, when I can't sleep at night, you know what I do? I have a Bible app. My brain, us ladies, our brains will go everywhere. You just listen to Psalms or you listen to your daily Bible or whatever. We have to. We are who we hang with and what we read. So back to this. Number three, someone told me reading and applying. Oh, everyone needs to do this. When I was a hyphen, I actually had to take this. They had a whole class of, on it in college. Dale Carnegie. Somebody, not, not elder, somebody tell me what book did Del Carnegie write that he is? Thank you. Do you know that book is almost 75 years old? Every person needs to read that book. Every person, every leader, to how to, how to have a conversation with people. I think even in this day and age, my age is showing, but we are losing conversational etiquette and skills. We need to look people in the eye when they greet us. We need to ask them about their day. I'm really on this with my grandchildren. Somebody speaks to you, you look at them, you call them by your name. And how to win friends and influence people. That was, I actually wrote that down, not because I just, I'm on that hobby horse. I was told that, and I took the class. Number four, be the person that others like to hang with because you make them feel good about themselves. Be the person that others like to hang with because you make them feel good about themselves. I'm a strong one on that. I want people to feel safe in my space, no matter what they tell me. I want them to think that I'm going to be a facilitator for them, a godly facilitator. I'm in no competition ever with anybody. I do not have to always be right. We give people to be in room to be individuals. But everything is based and mirrored with God's word. So um, I'm going to move along so I'm not taking too much time. How many have heard this song, Dear Younger Me? I know. So it's by Mercy Me. And so after I typed that down this morning, I'm like, there's a song. There's a song. These are the kind of things like on Sunday when you're missing, you know, you're you're ministering, you can't just get up and say, oh, there's a song. You guys, I brought my iPhone. My husband would die if I did this during the message. But uh, it makes a lot of sense. There's a song. Uh, so on the way here, you're not supposed to do this while you're driving. Coming down McGonagall, I found it on YouTube. You've heard this song. to carry this beyond. 
why you turn off YouTube. <laughs> so there are things that um, we can own. Why is it when we, um, we, we grow up? You've grown up. You're past 18. Your hyphen age is what they call it. And so the world would have us think that, all right, now it's time for you to be like the bird and I'll fly away. You're going to be independent now. This is your time of independence. Well, there is some things that are true in that. If your parents, you know, if I, I kind of failed at that because my goes way back to when I was a child. I'm a rescuer. I spent my life rescuing my parents. Then they're wonderful. Never meant to shed a darkness on them. My mom was absolutely gorgeous. My dad was such a handsome man. One-eighth Cherokee. They were both Cherokee. So smart. They were just living how they knew to live. And they didn't know. My mom did, did die in the Lord. My mom died in the having been filled with the Holy Ghost. My father, he died quickly at the age of 50. He spoke, I believe he spoke, he always said he would die at 50. Strange story I'll tell you about sometime. But, so you think, I'm, I'm, in, I'm independent now. But really, when you're walking with God, and you've come out of that, you're, you're over the, 18 you've graduated and maybe and you don't have that spouse yet it's what we call hyphen it's even a more important time for you to become dependent on God just like what we talked about now is the time that you set your habits and practices in your relationship with God your dependence upon him your interdependence upon him it's the most important time before you're married. You can do it after you're married, but the most important time. The way that my life played out, God knew what I needed. He knew the beginning from the end. He knew what I was going to marry. He knew what I was going to be doing at the age of 40, 50, and 60. He knew I would go through extreme times of loneliness and that the only thing that would get me through that is because Oh, what a friend I have in Jesus, that he is my father. He is my father. He is the one I get that security from. I have my earthly family, flesh and blood, but he is my family. He is my everything. So it is with during that time, it's not about becoming independent. It's about becoming more dependent upon God and interdependent upon the body of Christ. Interdependence. What, what does that mean, interdependence? An interdependent relationship would be, off the top of my head, it would be the relationship of a boss and an employee. How they work together to get a job done. There's interdependence uh, within, um, within nature, How everything works. Um, I'm trying to pull something out of the air. There's an interdependence with nature that the coyote eats the snakes, which eats the snake eats the rats, which the life cycle. Thank you. 
there's an interdependence that we need more right now as a hyphen than we ever needed before. Do not get to a place, and even after, it's different. We're still interdependent after we're married, but first of all, we have that dependency upon God that we've established that never leaves. My relationship with God was way before me and my husband. And that's something he, that will never change. There becomes an inter, as we have become one, it's been a beautiful joining together. But there's still a place that I go to in God that my husband, it's a private place with God. Anytime I've ever needed my husband to change, it wasn't because of what I told him. It was because I told God. It goes back to that, my father. Father, change me or change him. It's that private relationship before I ever got married. And that's so important. And then it was with me that interdependence upon uh, the community. Now, you don't hear interdependence much in our language. I just What you hear is community in the church world. It's all about community. And that's exactly what that is. Right now, you have an interdependence with your youth group. You have an interdependency that's very important with a good friend. You have a, you have, do you have an interdependency with a friend that will check up on you once in a while? You have a fast day together. You're doing your devotionals together. Where are you at? Where are you at? My husband and I ask that to each other. We reread the Bible every year. Sometimes he does a different version. But if we read the same, then we'll talk about the stories. Some people have an interdependency and somebody that will keep them accountable to their social and digital life on the media. Where you been? What you been doing? Hey, you started an argument the other day on Facebook. This is a real thing going into the election. This I know because I have very strong girls that are now in their 30s, late 20s. And I love their independence. But they have they've learned what they where they can't go and what they can't use and they've shut down a, you know a lot of apps and that'll come from your elder on that. But we have an we need an interdependency with one another. And I did write down a couple there's a family interdependency. Interdependence simply means two or more people working together on a common activity or toward a common goal. It's the old idea that two hands or two minds are better than one. An example of independent, interdependent family would be like everybody helping get the family dinner together. Ethan, you cook the, you make the coffee. Ethan, you make the coffee. Um, Elena, you cook the meat. Um, uh, you know, Matthew, you set the table. Sorry, Philomena, you get to do the dishes. That's family interdependency. So you see it. It, it happens. With, that's how our churches operate. That's how the community, the body of Christ operate. So there we see it. People get saved, and they're, they're young adults. They're not married. And we're often we're trying to draw them in. 
don't be an island. For some reason, the world has you think, if you're an island, you're strong. You're doing your devotions on your own. You're fasting on your own. You just show up on Sundays and Wednesdays, and you don't need anybody. You're hearing the preaching, and you're obeying, but you don't need anybody. You got this. We need, especially if we're out of the home and you don't think your parents can parent you anymore, which is not right, and at any age, and you're not married. Where's your interdependence? We need it within the body of Christ. An interdependent person recognizes the value of vulnerability, being able to turn to their friend in meaningful ways to create emotional intimacy. You're not interdependent if you're so private you cannot share your real thoughts. They also value a sense of self that allows them and their friend to be themselves without any need to compromise who they are or their value system. Now, I looked up some scriptures this morning, and there's interdependency all throughout the Bible. I know you can think of some. God set it up through the 12 tribes of Israel. God set it up in the way he had the, in Exodus, the way he had them set up their tents. God has set up interdependency amongst themselves all through the word. Um, The book of Acts, we use that all the time. All things common. There's an interdependency. And I know as a hyphen, you're doing your career. You're finding your career goal. You're finding your, you're doing your education. You're, and it could be, that's a really easy area to fall into, not having interdependency, because now I've grown up. I need to do this. Find community. Have that interdependence with the body of Christ and the mentors that God has put in the body of Christ for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't need to bring it up, but you can if you want. Chapter 12, verses 14 and 18, and I wrote it down in the ESV. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell but that as it is god arranged the members in the body one each of them as he chose we're all so different we all have different giftings we all have different we're wired different i gave you just a little bit of background i could go so deep into things i could show you all the scars i have from wrecking motorcycles growing up as well as the spiritual scars some of my history gave me as well of as how all of that history played in to what God would have me be today. We're all wired differently. We comprehend, we see through different colored glasses. Even the same scripture that can be read. God's anointed word. 
He knows what it's meant to mean, but the, la the layers and the dynamics of what he's ministering to you in, we're all different and we're all needed in the body. Interdependence provides support to individuals, allowing them the strength to support others and to focus on their own personal growth. Individuals who are interdependent will reap the rewards immediately. You will achieve more success and happiness when you become connected to those around you. We do not, who do you need to be interdependent with the most? I'm asking a question. Who do you need to be interdependent with the most? God, Jesus. And then after that, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. How are you, let's just talk a little bit. How do you be interdependent and dependent upon God? We're not, and when I say interdependent, I don't mean be needy. Don't be the needy person. <laughs> I just said it, didn't I? Don't be that needy person. <laughs> Sometimes we really do have needs. And if we don't go to our elder, to our pastor, to our mom, to our dad, and share them, it's spiritual pride. But how do we become, how do we have that relationship with God? That he is our everything right now. He is our everything. I know, we know prayer. But the biggest and safest way is through the word. Through the word. You see, when I pray, I am praying for people as God gives me unction and I'm led in the Holy Ghost. But as I pray, I pray through all of my, with it, I pray through, sometimes the spirit prays. But a lot of that can come from what I'm dealing with, my prayer. I'm really avoiding using the word flesh. But if that week you have a lot of pain, you're going to take it to the Lord in prayer. You're not going to be so spiritual you don't touch on it. If that week somebody hurt you or hurt somebody you love, you're going to take it to the Lord in prayer. We will, and we need to. There's nothing wrong with that. But, Spending just as much time in the word as I do communicating to God and being still and listening to God is developing that interdependence upon him. Outside of me on my journey to read that Bible through every year. We know that Hebrews uh, fourth chapter says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I often read the word before I pray every morning, and I often read the word after I pray. 
And sure enough, God will reveal to me. Sometimes he'll speak directly through me, uh, to me through a, a still small voice, but it could be something. He, all of a sudden, the words will jump out. This word is dealing with the intent of my heart and what I just prayed about. Kid you not, it is amazing. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Until I come. For me, I do it all the time. But that was, I can honestly say, that was even more so during that hyphen age. Hyphen age for me was, it was, it was a, a little bit scary. Okay, so this is the real, this is getting down to where the rubber meets the road. I came out of a college in Seattle, and there was all these beautiful, gorgeous men. I was very carnal, but I was a good girl. I got saved, and my life changed greatly. There was a, not a whole lot of single guys. Oh, and I learned through all the Bible studies, it is to be, you need to be evenly yoked I'm going to be single forever. I would look around and think, there's no way. I guess I'm just going to have to give a Bible study to someone I like and win them to the Lord. So what did I do? I occupied myself. I stopped working in what I was doing. I went to work for the church at whatever they would pay me to do. Full time. And um, got on staff at a big church. You know, at that time, a big church was 800 people back in the day. That was the church in Puyallup. And I worked five days a week doing all their publication, printing, and administrative stuff. And then on Saturday, I was the church secretary. Because the pastor, Pastor Gene Zimke, did a lot of his appointments on Saturday. Because that's when people didn't work. His days off were Monday, Tuesday. So I was at, and I was the young adult hyphen. When the pastor went out of town, every time they went to general conference, I was the person that stayed with their children. I immersed myself in the work in the body of Christ because that's all I knew to do at that time. I knew I did not want to go forward with what I had been trained and educated in at that time. So my hyphen years was truly Seeking the word, seeking the word, having a relationship. I had such a, I had a, man, sometimes my prayer life is much deeper now. Back then, I would set a timer on how long I had to pray. I had to have the right kind of music on. Sometimes I would light a candle. And I was sure if the candle in the room started flickering, there was an angel. I was young in the Lord. And that's what I thought. But I did it. I did it. I did it the way I knew how to do it. Occupy until I come. Until I come give attendance to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. I want to just point out one more last thing. The New Living Translation says, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. So it's replacing that with the exhortation. Encouraging believers and teaching them. 
That's the NLT. Same scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 13, in the ESV. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And I did a study not too long ago. Um, I felt like the Lord led me down that for Sunday to the public reading of scripture, how important the scripture is. How important. I know I learned a long time in my life, even being alone, how important it is to read the scripture out loud. Read it out loud. Put those words out into the air. The anointed God that was penned, you know, as he moved upon the prophets, the holy men, read the word of God out loud. So as hyphen, you're at a very special place. You have your parents still. You have your family. You have your interdependence with your your church, the body of Christ, with your pastor, with the elders. But more than anything, with God, and with God that's through prayer and the word, is everything. It'll make you who you are. You go into the, I say that, you know, I, I mentioned and I'm closing. I thought, there's no way. I'm probably going to, I feel a call. I felt a call when I was young. I'll probably be single because there ain't nobody available in this church. And I'm going to follow God. I'm going to, he's going to be my father, my friend, my, my private, you know, where I tell all my private things. He's going to be the lover of my soul, just him. He will. And he still is, even being married. But, and then so eventually I started dating a couple guys in the church. And that's before I understood courting. Not to date anybody I wouldn't consider marrying. I actually dated somebody, went out on a date with him because I wanted to humble myself. (laughs) probably turn this off (laughs) and it was a big church and we always had a lot going on there was this like banquet around the month of February and I was a single adult and I really didn't want to go there was nobody interested and I told the Lord I'll go with the first guy that asked me no matter who it is because I should not think because you know I'm only two or three years old in the Lord I should not think I'm better than anybody else so I did I went with the first guy that and even my pastor called me in on that Sister Fisher, he might get the wrong idea. Well, he asked. And you said yes? And so, you know, those single years are hard. I just raised three daughters. And sometimes it would be the people that you would think great preacher out of Bible college. He preaches good. He wears the right shoes, wears the right socks and ties even. This might be the one for my daughter. Spend five hours with him. Oh, no. Do you tell your daughter? No, but we prayed him out of her life. We prayed him right out of her life. We prayed so many men out of my girl's life. 
And my girls, they're going to not get married until they're like 25 or 28 because I was older and they need to establish themselves and establish their devotions. Those hyphen, they need to know God more than anything before they get married. And I couldn't believe it. They met who God ordained for them at the age of 18. God, really? That's, that wasn't my plan. But that's who God intended for them. We all think it's going to happen a certain way. So when I met the man that I married, God had told me I was going to marry a, a man of God. I'm like, I'll just, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow the ministry you have before me. I can do this. No, you're going to marry. You are going to marry. You're a married man of God. Okay. I think maybe the candle in the room went like that at that time. I was like, <laughs> okay. Most be the Lord. So I was really focused. I was really focused in the church. I was working hard. I went to a youth convention. Anthony Mangan was preaching a youth convention in 1982 at the World of Pentecost. I, it was like, to me, just the best thing going. I was so spiritual. I remember one night after church going, and that's when at youth convention we say you should date within the, you know, you sh if you're going to look for a spouse or if you're going to meet somebody, it should be within, you know, be evenly yoked. And so it just happens. There's nothing wrong with people checking each other out at a singles or hyphen or youth convention. I'm not saying that's why you go there, but that's not why you go there. But um, that's why they were all there at this youth convention, every single one of them, every single one of them. And so one night, I think it was the first night on Wednesday night, I marched into my office at the church, and a man who is now a missionary in Africa, I can't remember our name, he uh, was the guy that did all of our printing. Um, I said, it is so thick in there, you can cut it. Nobody's here to get anything from God. They're just checking each other out. And he tried to call, well, this is, you know, and calm me down. And so then um, it was the next night. And I was like all about, I'm here to get something from God. Bless God. I'm on the front row. I got my Bible. I am so single focused. And somebody introduced me to somebody, and I remember being like a foot taller than him, and in my high heels, and my, and I'm like, you know, oh, hello, Larry. <laughs> I was not looking for anybody. Hello, Larry. And then I went home, and you know, I lived on my own with my roommate, and and then I came back to church, and it was Terry Black that was preaching the day sessions, and I was sitting on the second row, and I had my hair down. And I was wearing flats that day. And I'm sorry for taking so much time. I'm done. And, um, and I was sitting with my roommate. And uh, Bishop walks in with his friend at the time, who he was with at that convention was Dexter Holmes. Brother Holmes from Seattle. Because Bishop went to the Yakima Church. And they were both single. Bishop was like 22, 23. He came and he sat down right behind me, and I'm like, oh, brother. And I say to my roommate, the guy that that so-and-so introduced me to last night, he came and he's, he's right behind us. Don't look. Brother Terry Black, you know, uh, before I read the scripture, turn around and greet somebody. Say, praise the Lord. And I'm like, so I turn around, and I shake his hand, and sure enough, and he was just as honest as all. He's like, have we met before? 
in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, right. But I had my hair down, and I was, like, looking at him at eye level instead of the stiletto, stilettos I had on the night before. And I'm like, last night, we met up in that balcony. Oh, oh, yeah, right. And so turn, and then it was that day that then Dexter, and I could never remember his name. I always called him Dutch. <laughs> Dutch and Larry in, decided to invite my, my roommate and me to go to lunch in between the sessions, and we went to lunch. And um, I could not believe this guy. I was not looking. I was turned off from people that were looking. I was all about God. His character, everything about him, I was drawn to him. And I knew immediately I need to spend more time with him. And so we did. And God had told me I was going to marry a man of God. Not only was he younger in the Lord than me, I could quote a whole lot of more scriptures than him. He lived in Yakima, went to a very small church. Our, our care groups were bigger than his church in Yakima. And he ran a car wash, the Tiki Car Wash on Knob Hill. So I had to lay all that aside I don't think so. He's not the one. I know what God told me. He called me three weeks later. Yeah, so I have to buy these special brushes for my car wash, this business I run. And I'm like, I'm in the church office. I'm like, brushes for a car wash. It's a Suzanne Flutinger. And I have to come to Tacoma. Do you want to meet for coffee? Sure. And then so we did, so we did, so we did. And we were married that year. Um, the Lord told me he was the one. And then actually right before we got married, he lost his job. His grandfather sold the car wash. And so it was not, you know, it, did, it didn't look like who I had. He didn't look like who I had. His face was actually more handsome. Maybe no hair, but I sure liked his face. I really didn't think I'd marry a short guy. He was already supposed to be a preacher. And when we got married, he had no job. His first year or so of marriage, he was a milkman. He delivered milk. I married the milk. 